0: From Wyoming Public Media. This, this, this is this is spoken, spoken spoken Words. Spoken Words. This is Spoken I'm, Words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. We were just looking out at the
1: glorious world around us, how big this valley was and how big the sky was and how you know, the sun was going down and the stars were coming out. And it makes you feel like you're teeny tiny little person. And I said, wow, this place is big. And my friend said to
0: me, yeah, it's big and it's heartless. And it doesn't give a shit about you. In this episode, we're hearing from Dale Dunn. She's a playwright based out of New Mexico and Montana. Dunn's appreciation of plays started as a young girl when an English teacher assigned Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. But it took her a while to discover her own path as a playwright.
1: I was in college. I was a dancer when I first started out there and realized that I didn't want to spend my life in a dance studio worrying about what I'd eaten the day before. And there was a lot of pressure on um, body image at that point. It was in the late 70s, and they hadn't really become awakened to what that does to young women. So I got really turned off by that and and um, turned to the theater department because I knew I, I loved the performance. I loved being backstage. I loved being with people creating something that didn't exist before. And so I start, I took a playwriting class. And uh, my first play was really bad. But, <laughs> but I learned a lot and um, went on from there.
0: Dunn grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, a remote city that was built to support the research facility where the atomic bomb was developed. Her writing examines what people justify doing to each other and how that can spin out of control in the remote reaches of the country, far from oversight and family.
1: I had this great teacher, Howard Stein, who kept telling us, write what you know, write what you know. So I went back, and one of my first plays was um, set in Los Alamos, which is where I grew up. It it was called Body Burden, and it was about, I started doing research about Los Alamos, because it was a very strange place to grow up, where they built the atomic bomb, you know. And um, started doing research and found out about these uh, Girl Scouts who were taken into the basement of the hospital there and given radioactive iodine, and they were testing levels of how much your radioactive iodine your thyroid absor- um, absorbs. Right. And a lot of them ended up getting cancer, uh, thyroid cancer. And you know they were doing it with what they thought were good intentions of of testing how much. Um, thyroid, how much the thyroid absorbs radiation because they were testing a lot of above ground tests out in Nevada at that time. It was in the early 60s. So I just found that really appalling. And so I wrote a play about it. And it's called Body Burden and um, used a lot of my experience growing up in Los Alamos in the play. But um, that sort of set the the tone for a lot of the work I do. I find something that I find very appalling, or that I think maybe needs changing or looking at, and write about it and put it into a dramatic form
0: where people can engage and have, start a dialogue about it. Dunn's play The Big Heartless premiered in Laramie in April 2018, and it tackles the intersection of humans and wolves, of family and freedom, in a remote corner of the Mountain West. It's a new take on an old theme. You know, the, the title,
1: The Big Heartless, came from standing on the porch with my good friend and we were just looking out at the glorious world around us, how big this valley was and how big the sky was and how you know, the sun was going down and the stars were coming out and it makes you feel like you're a teeny tiny little person. I said, wow, this place is big. And my friend said to me, yeah, it's big and it's heartless and it doesn't give a shit about you. I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> you know, you're you're really insignificant in this big, in this in the bigness of the world out here. And um that that whole idea features into the play. And th- that good friend has since passed on. He got terrible cancer not long after and I sort of think of him all the time when I when I write about the bigness of the world and the where where do we fit in?
0: Dunn stumbled onto the subjects for this play in a way that's become central to her own writing and research process.
1: The Big Heartless got started uh, with a couple of experiences I had on road trips, which I found road trips to be very, very, very key to my... Um, research process where you're you're somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and you see something and if you if get the person that's driving to pull over <laughs> to see what's going on here um, I was on a road trip with a good friend of mine and we found an abandoned uh, reform school up in northwestern Montana near Helena and I was just um, creeped out by the walls with razor wire on top and um, it was kind of this crumbling brick building, and you could just tell that something not so good was going on here. It, lo- it was very isolated and looked more like a prison than a school. And um, I went home and did some research into reform schools, and there's this uh, worldwide association of specialty programs, and um, they run a whole bunch of um, reform schools for profit, so they're private, they have no oversight, From any government organization or anything. No one's watching them. And they have been called in for abuse and um, putting kids in isolation chambers, shackling them, throwing them into the river blindfolded. Um, All kinds of really appalling stories came out of my research. And um, I thought, huh, I never knew about these programs. I bet a lot of people don't know about these programs. And then the other thing that happened that uh, made me Right, the big heartless was I had a wolf encounter when I was driving near Santa Fe. And these two wolves were running on the highway, straight at my car. I had a good friend of mine with me. If she hadn't been there, I would have thought I'd imagined it. But um, I thought I was going to hit them. I slowed down. There was a bunch of traffic around me. I couldn't go anywhere. And somehow, they just went right by. And it it was a very strange experience. I don't know how that happened, how I didn't hit them. And if I hadn't had my friend, like I said, I would have thought I had imagined it. But we went home, looked on the internet, what was that? And we both saw, we found these Mexican gray wolves that looked just like what had been running towards us. So being from Santa Fe, a lot of people said, oh, it must be your spirit animal. You got to look into wolves. You got to find out about wolves. So I did and um, got really uh, fascinated with what was going on with the wolves and the Looked into the relocation um, programs that have been happening in Wyoming and Montana and was just fascinated with the um, two sides of the story. There's a, the, the ranchers and the people that are trying to raise their livestock, and then there's the people that want to bring the wolf back and introduce him. And so I, I really tried to show both sides of that story in The Big Heartless, but— um, There was one story of these two wolves that were reintroduced into West Yellowstone, and they kept escaping and going where they're not supposed to be and trying to go back to Canada. And it's a
0: quite horrifying story of what happens to those two wolves. So that's in The Big Heartless as well. In this scene from The Big Heartless, Mac, as played by Kevin Inouye, is trying to decide how to handle the sudden appearance of his nephew Cliff and Cliff's friend Monsoon, played by Jaden Sorensen and Leah Bergman, respectively. The two teens have clearly run away from something and are haunted by what they've seen along the way.
2: I'm not set up to... I've only got the one bed.
3: Oh, I can sleep anywhere.
2: I, I really You don't think... What,
3: you don't like people? I like them fine as long as they're... But you prefer wolves and what? Dead things? You're like that guy. Yeah, he, he lived all alone out in the middle of nowhere, just like this. It, it was Montana, wasn't it? And and he started mailing bombs and shit? And
4: Ted Kaczynski? Yeah. No, maybe a little. Uh, he's just messing with you. Hey, careful, those are- Sharp?
3: Yeah. I can tell. You keep everything around here real sharp. I, uh, what so animal this is what I this? I don't. Fox. It's so soft. Uh, don't- uh, Poor, beautiful, wild, dead thing. So what are you? Like a mountain man trapper kind of deal?
4: Uncle Mac used to be in charge of animal damage control for western Montana.
3: Damage to the animal?
4: Damage to big business.
3: Big business? Out here?
4: Livestock.
2: Cattle. sheep. Big, big business out here.
3: And what animals did you control? These? Uh huh. Wolves, coyotes.
2: Bears, mountain lions, anything that feeds on livestock.
3: And you don't do that anymore?
4: Nope. Why not? I just don't.
3: So what are you now?
4: Poor. Uncle Mac is in charge of the wolf recovery project. Not in charge.
3: What, like a 12-step program for wayward wolves?
4: (laughs) That's good. They're trying to bring the wolf back from almost total extinction, right, Uncle Mac? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Bringing packs into Idaho, Montana, see if they can't get them settled back in around here.
3: Why would you want more wolves? Aren't they like... Dangerous? If you eliminate all
2: the top predators, the the, the bears, mountain lions, wolves, the whole system begins to fail. We are trying to stop that from happening. I don't have time for this shit. Just show me where you saw those wolves.
3: Why do you care where the wolves go? Because no matter
2: where they go, apart from where we'd like for them to be, they can't hardly help but end up in some rancher's crosshairs. Looks like the alphas of the pack we tried to introduce into Yellowstone recently are trying to get back to where they came from. Where's that? Canada.
3: It's cold up there.
2: That's the way they like it.
3: Someone should tell them there's no going back. Everything will be different. All the other wolves will look at them funny.
2: Uh-huh. Uh huh. So uh, which which road, which one were they on?
4: Uh, well we came down out of the Bitter Roots,
3: but- uh, Here, 93 South.
4: That close to town?
3: We were by this big military cemetery. It was kind of creepy, huh? I was half expecting to see a a zombie coming up out of all those white markers. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And then Cliff starts reciting that, what What? was that?
4: The boundaries that divide life from death are best shadowy and vague. Who shall say where one ends and where the other begins.
3: I'm just trying to keep my head on straight and he's going all crazy poetic on me.
4: Edgar Allan Poe.
3: How do you remember this shit?
4: coming right at you on the highway.
2: Yeah,
3: it was just starting to get dark. Just as I turn my headlights on, I see them. These yellow eyes. Kind of glowing.
4: But not dogs or coyotes?
3: No, different. Not sure why.
4: Uh, They were too big. Their legs were like really long.
3: Yeah, whatever they were, they kept coming straight at us, right in my lane. Fast. Too fast. I put my foot on the brake. Easy so no one hits us from behind. Wolves. Both of us said it at the same time. Wolves. Wolves.
4: Did one of them look like she was carrying pups?
2: Yeah,
3: maybe... Um, we couldn't
4: see that, Uncle Mac. Everything was moving too fast. Uh, the sun was going down and it was getting real dark and... and real cold.
3: Freezing. And the fucking heater doesn't even work.
4: Doesn't sound right.
2: Number 9 shouldn't be on the move like that. She should be settling down and making a den. I hope she hasn't lost those pups already. Uh, did it look like they were wearing collars? I, they're big. You I, would have seen them.
3: I just saw these big yellow eyes picking up our headlights. They don't look at you, they look through you, and they aren't afraid.
4: These two aren't getting out of our way, that's for sure.
3: And I can't swerve or slam on my brakes. I run into traffic on my right or this big concrete thing on my left. The divider. What?
4: The divider. You know, so cars don't hit each other going the wrong way.
3: Yeah, thanks.
4: Anyway, I think she's gonna hit the one on the right and then... Then what?
3: Time, like, stands still for a second. But it feels like forever.
4: There's nothing but the sound of air going past us. And? And then... nothing. Uh, We don't hit a thing.
3: It was like we went right through them.
4: Or they went through us. Huh?
3: Yeah, it did kind of feel like that. I just keep going with the hair on the back of my neck roughed up.
4: Me too.
2: Also sometimes use the highway to travel if the snow is too deep or wet.
3: Really? That
2: seems a little bit reckless. Uh What are they running
0: from? Us. Dunn intends the comparison between the lives of teenagers and wolves to be as illuminating for the audience as it was for her.
1: I found a lot of parallels between the teenagers that I was researching and that I created these two characters and the wolves. And, um, you know, people are trying to tamp down teenagers a lot of times and they're they're just looking for who they are and how to express themselves. And a lot of times they get into a lot of trouble. And um, I think a lot of parents are unaware of what goes on in these places that they put them in. And thankfully, the wolves um, have been established pretty well. And the work that the relocation teams did uh, really was successful. The wolf numbers are increasing. And as I say in the play, as I have one of the characters say, if you If you're doing all the top predators, the whole system fails. So um, I think it's really important to have a balance. And that's what everyone in the play in this Big Heartless is searching for, is for a balance and for how do you take care of each other while still allowing the
0: other person to be free. The next production of The Big Heartless is in Santa Fe, New Mexico in February. This episode was produced by Teo Basquiat and Annie Osborne. I'm Micah Schweitzer. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating or review wherever you're listening, or share an episode with a friend. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing Program and Wyoming Public Media.